Welcome to season six of Italia 1121. I cannot believe we have done it yet again and that you came back to listen for more. My name is Antavia Roulette. I am your host of Atelier 1121, an art and fashion podcast supporting artists that are making impacts in their fields and being innovative and helping their communities day by day by uplifting other artists and creating something authentic for us to all look at. And today's artist and guest is Matthew Mays. We were able to talk to Matthew during the summer of 2021, and we pushed his episode to the beginning of season six. And I would like you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy this amazing artist and what he does. First, how are you today? Uh, I'm really good today. Today's been a, a great day. That's great to hear. Well, thank you for agreeing to come on Italia 1121. It truly means a lot to me. Um, for my guests, I want to let you guys know that I was on Clubhouse one day. I, I rarely get on the app, but um, it definitely has opened me up to a lot of genres of artists. And while I was on there, I heard Matthew jump on and he was speaking. It wasn't it was about NFTs, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So it was a mm -hmm. while back. Yep. But um, I went over to his Instagram and when I saw his work. I was blown away. Matthew, if you give us a brief introduction and we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Matthew Hausler. Um, I am uh, a lifelong artist of various sorts. Um, my most notable style is called maze art. And uh, I've been doing that for about 12 years now. And it's been, uh, it's been enjoyable uh, exploration of, of drawing and creating. Uh, but uh, yeah, I just enjoy the process. And uh, really enjoy um, like exploring what it is to be a creator and what it is to be an artist in, in you know in my life. So may I ask my first question that I always ask all my guests: What was that spark of inspiration, and how did all of your maze art begin? Because that is what's so breathtaking. Thank you. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you like it. Um, that's that's the first thing. Thank you for for uh, the kind words. Uh, for me, it actually began uh, kind of in two things that happened at the same time. So back in 2009, uh, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I worked at a bank. Uh, and I, my job wasn't horrible, but I just, I didn't really love it. Um, you know, it was kind of a, it was a job that I did well and, and would show up and punch the clock. Um, but I found myself obviously, like so many people, realizing that it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. Uh, and so I would take breaks um, and you know, I'm not a smoker or anything so I wouldn't take smoke breaks but I would just kind of take my own little breaks that were the equivalent to smoke breaks and I'd go to the break room and just start sketching and drawing uh, and I, I'd drawn since I was a kid mm -hmm. but um, what, what I realized you know in 2009 I was geez, let me do some math here 29 ish 29 I think uh, no I was Jesus 11 years ago I was 24 I don't know. I'm not good at math. Okay, <laughs> um, listeners, you guys do the math. You get the point. <laughs> yeah. I was born, I, I'm a 36 now and it was 11 years ago. So 25. All right. Uh, and uh, even that's wrong. I think it was 12 years ago. Regardless, I'm not good at math. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So long story short, I went to the break room. I would start drawing uh, and, I, and I started to be overly critical of my own drawings, right? So I'd be like, oh, let's draw this tree outside. That doesn't look like a tree or it looks like a tree, but not that tree. Like, I'm not good at this, right? I'm, I'm doing something wrong. And I realized that like that 
that voice, that overly critical voice was holding me back from actually like creating. So what I decided to do was, um, and this was kind of inspired by a dream, which is a, a separate story, but I had a dream about drawing negative space. Uh, and for anyone who's been in art classes, even in like, you know, high school level courses, you do this exercise where you draw the negative space around an object. Instead of drawing the object, you draw what's around it. Uh, and so I started, I was like, okay, I'm going to do that because that's an exercise, right? If, and, and if I'm doing something just to practice, then it takes the critic, the critical side out of my, out of, out of the process and lets me just draw. So uh, as I did that, I realized, man, this could really become like a maze or some sort of like path, right? You're drawing mm -hmm. the negative space instead of the positive space. So I started exploring with that. And um, the first, the first few I did, they weren't actually items. They were just kind of shapes. Uh, and then I would take the shape and fill it in with a maze texture, trying to kind of focus on the negative space instead of the positive space. So may uh, I ask you yeah, this? What mm -hmm. shape did you, did you start with? A circle, a triangle, or the traditional square that we used to see in the newspapers? Uh, I started actually originally, <laughs> this is kind of funny. No one's ever asked this question. It's a good question. Um, I started with like a, a shape that was a combination of shapes. And nice. The, the inspiration actually, this is where it's kind of funny, uh, came from, I don't know if you've been to Chipotle, but at many Chipotles around the country, they have these um, like metal sculpture reliefs that are on the wall. Right. Uh, and they're kind of like different shapes that kind of have like a little bit of like an Aztec feel, uh, but they're kind of these, you know, these non-objective shapes. So I kind of just did a really quick spent, uh, pencil sketch of those shapes on the page and then filled it in. And it was, the inspiration was actually just from the wall relief art at Chipotle, which is crazy, but yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, like I didn't even have to ask my second question, which was where does the piece begin? But mm -hmm. I have to ask, after you moved out of the shapes, how did you get to filling in the quote unquote negative space that's behind it and contributed into the maze? Mm -hmm. Like, like, do you draw the maze in the center first and then like, how do you create your blocks? I just, I have yep. so many questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, um, if you don't mind a kind of long answer, I mean, I can. Kind oh of no, you... we have time. I'm so interested. Great. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, in the early days, um, I, I, I draw my mazes different now than I did when I started. Right. Because uh, like any sort of art, it's a practice. And now I could start with a blank page and just go at it with a maze. Uh, but when I first started, what I actually did, and there, there is a video, I'd have to dig it up. It's on YouTube somewhere of me doing a time-lapse maze over 12 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I used to do, because I was still kind of afraid of the page, right? I was still afraid of uh, going directly in with like ink. So what I really, do, yeah, in the early years, because, you know, you're afraid of making a mistake and you, and you hold on to what you're comfortable with. So in right. the very first few years, I would use pencil and draw the entire maze. And then I would go over the entire maze with ink. And the, the good news about that is, is you can fix mistakes. The right. bad news is that is basically drawing the piece twice. Right. Uh, and it's, it, it wasn't. And, and so eventually when I got, I got a, a book deal and that, that I had to learn to not rely on the pencil anymore because, you know, they needed, they needed mazes quickly. Um, and I, I didn't have time to draw them twice. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the early years, I, I was very much, um, hesitant and and uh would would take my time and do pencil first so that i knew what the final product was going to look right 
And then I had, a, and then eventually I learned to trust myself. Right. And, um, and believe like, okay, I've done this before. Uh, maybe if I just draw a little bit slower, but with ink, it will be the same as drawing with pencil first. And, and sure enough, that ended up working. Um, so well, nowadays, um, and I, I think your question is ultimately like, how, what's the process, which I can kind of get into. But nowadays, if I draw mazes, it's, it's much more of a free flowing process mm -hmm. than it was in the first, you know, four to five years. So tell us more about this uh, book you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've had a bunch. Um, back in uh, 2013, I got, I posted actually a maze online. Um, and it was a it was a maze of a, a very famous Chinese story um, called Du Shenyang. Uh And the, the real the full title is uh, I think it's Du Shenyang throws the jewel box in the river in rage or in, in, in distress or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's a um, it's a story of a, a young lady in um, China, uh, ancient China, who um, gets upset because she is not valued by the, the man who loves her. Um, and it becomes evident in the story. It's a beautiful story. Long story short, um, I, I made a piece on it and the piece ended up, uh, I put it on Facebook back in 2012 or 13 and ended up getting a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of people, because I, I also, you know, I, I shared it with some um, communities in Southeast Asia and in East Asia. Uh, I'm not Southeast Asian or, or uh, East Asian. I, I speak Chinese through college, but it's not like, a, it's not part of my, my background. Uh, but I posted it and um, it, I didn't realize how, how well known this story is and how much it actually resonates with people. It's kind of like the Romeo and Juliet uh, mm -hmm. of, its, of its era in that, in that part of uh, ancient China. So um, anyway, I, I posted it, it did really well. And um, long story short, it ended up getting seen by a publisher called uh, Mindware. Uh, and Mindware is a, they're a toy maker actually. Uh, and they had a series of dot to dot maze books I'm sorry, dot to dot books, not maze books. And they approached me about making maze books. Uh, and of course, at the time, you know, I left the job at the bank and I was kind of like finding my way as an artist. And so I'm like, mm -hmm. sure, yeah, I'll do a book. Why not? Uh, and I ended up doing six books with them. It's the uh, Extreme Mazes series with Mindware. Um, the last one was done, I think, in 2014 or 2015. And, I, and I'm not even sure if it's still in publication. Um, but I did uh, that series. And then I, after that, I branched out on my own for a little bit. Uh, in the background of like what was happening in the world, this was during the big, you know, if you remember the adult coloring book phase. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah. So the adult coloring books were taking off and I really like, I didn't time this purposely that way. I just kind of lucked out that my maze books were coming out during that time. Uh, and so adults were looking for these escapes, right? These puzzle books and these coloring books and mine kind of did both. Uh, so I, I started doing uh, uh, my own books and printed uh, like a Chicago maze book, a Cincinnati maze book. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, so it was kind of like an attrib you know, attributing back to my, where I came from. I live in Chicago now, so I, I did a Chicago book. Uh, I even flew out to, um, to Ireland and Paris and uh, Birmingham, uh, United Kingdom, and did some drawings there for some Chicago sister city projects. Uh, so Galway, Ireland, Paris, and, and Birmingham, and did some mazes there. Uh, and just kind of traveled around drawing mazes and self-publishing and was able to make a, a modest living, but a living doing that for about uh, three years or so. Uh, and then got picked up by another publisher uh, in 2017 for a book that's still actually in print. And that is uh, Windy City Mazes. It's start to finish Chicago Windy City Mazes, I think is the full title. 
Uh, and it's 45 mazes of Chicago that I drew in about a six to seven month time period. Um, and then uh, the most recent book project is actually a pretty exciting one because it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2020, I collaborated with uh, 17 other maze artists and released a, a book called Maze 2020 for free. Uh, it's an ebook that was released um, and is available on my website, which is matthewsmazes.com, all one word. And then um, this year, I actually right now just closed submissions for Maze 2021. Uh, we have, it looks like maybe as many as 23 or 24 artists that are going to be featured in this year's uh, anthology. So uh, that's kind of a, you know, it's a lot of different books, but, um, that, you know, for many people who are listening, they probably didn't know Maze books were a thing. Um, but there are some pretty cool artists, and, and those are just a few of the books that I have that are in the. Uh, so, may market. I ask you, what was the longest maze that you've ever made? <laughs> what took you the most time? Um, the longest maze was actually, at the time, it was the world's largest maze. Um, that record's still been broken, uh, since been broken by two people, actually. But um, it was in 2015. I released the maze that took me uh, six months to draw, a little over 350 hours. Uh, and it was 73 and a half feet by th- uh, long by three feet tall. And it was a nonstop panorama of the Chicago uh, skyline viewed from the Chicago lakefront. That's very nice. So what did you use while you were uh, sketching it? What was your reference? Uh, I, I went to the lakefront and, uh, and took a walk and just oh. kind of took pictures every 30 to 40 feet. Oh, nice. And then I would, then I, uh, would use those pictures as a reference to do my initial pencil sketch. Um, and this was, if, if you remember back, I said I had to stop using pencil first and just went straight to ink. This right. was uh, definitely done in ink only because to have done it in pencil and then ink would have been, um, would have been a nightmare. Uh, so I, yeah. did, I did do original sketches in pencil. So I would draw like your basic shapes, right? Like your guiding shapes. But then instead of um, adding texture or shading, I just add the mazes. So may I ask then, what was the most, was that the most difficult one that you've ever done? Um, that's a good question. Um, it was, I guess, yeah, as a matter of time and energy, it definitely was the most difficult. Uh, I think that some of the, like there's a, there's a maze I did of the, uh, the temple bar in Dublin, Ireland that might be the most difficult one I've drawn just because of the amount of detail that mm-hmm. I tried to fit onto the page. Um, but it, it, de- it didn't, did not take anywhere near as long as the, you know, the other one did. So my next question for you is when you're creating a maze mm-hmm. and you know, you get to those points where there's a block or a closing, how do you decide when to put one there and when not to? Yeah. Uh, another good question. Uh, so there, like I said, I kind of collaborated on a project with 17 other maze artists. And one thing I realized is that there are, um, you know, many, many different ways to do this. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you my process, uh, but I know for a fact that there are people who do this differently. Um, the way that I do it is uh, I try to let it be more of a meditative process and a little less of a like legalistic and, um, you know, mentally taxing process. Mm-hmm. So I will, I'll use a pencil to kind of keep track of the open pathways. And if you almost imagine like it's a tree, right? And so I have my main path. And then when I need to sketch a few different areas, I will make 
uh, you know, three or four different paths that go from there. And I'll label those with in pencil with like A, B, C. Um, and then I'll just, I'll just draw, right. I'll keep those um, paths more or less in place and then draw around it. And then uh, as I'm drawing, it will kind of become evident whether that path needs to continue or close. And that's, I don't know how to really explain that. It just, I'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to close this path. And now I just have B and C open. And then those B and C become the new trunk for the next branches, again, with that tree analogy. So um, then eventually I might close C down and now I have B, but B has become, you know, one, two, and three again. And now I have three paths from that central path. And so the process for me um, kind of grows from a, a, a central point constantly. I don't know if that makes sense. But that's yeah, kind of. But I think I would have to like really like look at the main. I, I have to see the process. Have you ever record? Uh, you said you recorded process beginning to end, right? But like up close. Yeah, I did. Uh, I will find that video and and send it your way. Hopefully, it's still around. Yeah, I think uh, people would love to see that. I think yeah, people sure. would absolutely yeah. love to see it. Yeah, I will send it now. Again, that was my old process. The whole thing was drawn in pencil first because uh, I did that back in like two thousand and. 11 or 12. So I think maybe 13, uh, but yeah, about 10 years ago. Um, and so it was the old process, but it will give you a sense of kind of how it's. Uh... But you do a lot more than just mazes. I don't, I mean, of course, as you said, with your books and your other experience, but can you tell us about your storyboarding? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I do, I do quite a bit. Uh, and, and this is actually a, a little side tangent is I found that as an artist, uh, the best advice that I've given to myself and I give to artists is don't, don't pigeonhole yourself in one thing. Mm -hmm. um, like I do the mazes, but I also do like uh, actual physical production build for like events. I do storyboarding. Like you mentioned, I do, an I'm learning now animation, both 2d and 3d um, because the, the thing about being an artist is the, the core of an artist is not a style or a technique. The core of, of being an artist is storytelling. Right. And so um, be, be willing to humble yourself and learn things that you're not comfortable with mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. Um, and so, and back to your question of storyboarding, actually, that's kind of how I got into storyboarding. Um, at the, at the time it was about 2014 and I started working on a, a set here in, in Chicago for the TV show, Chicago PD. Uh, I was a stand in for one of the actors and it was, you know, it was a part-time gig. Uh, but I realized that, um, that there, you know, there's this whole other industry of drawing that uh, that is worth exploring. Yeah. So I uh, I was like, okay, well, let, what is storyboarding? I did my research. I mean, we all know what it is, but what actually is it, and and what is trying to be communicated in storyboarding? And and what's trying to be communicated is um, a written story um, being shown in pictures so that a, a cameraman and a camera crew can duplicate what is on the page. Right. Uh, and that seems simple, but like, uh, you know, one thing, and you don't have to work on a set to know this, but I'll just, you know, this is good, a good observation from set life. Um, it's not always clear what the writer is seeing in their head. Right. And so storyboarding has a very significant value. Uh, with that said, most TV shows, because they're done so quickly, don't have storyboarding in them. They just go straight from script to filming and they just make sure they hire a good camera crews. But when something is like a, a feature film or something that is actually meant to be really um, focused on the visual and less on the narrative, 
storyboarding is, is useful. And so um, for me, storyboarding initially came from a client of mine that I'd done some TV work for, for set design. Um, they approached me and said, hey, we have some commercials we want to pitch um, to a brand. And we're having trouble showing them what, we, what we're talking about. So can you draw it for us? And at the time, I mean, I said yes, but in my back of my mind, I'm like, can I? I don't know. <laughs> um, let's find out. And so I said yes and, um, you know, figured out what the cost was going to be and probably undercharged them by a lot because it was my first time. Uh, and then I just said, okay, give me notes. What do you want to see? How many storyboards do you want? And they wanted something like 12 or 12 to 16, I forget. Uh, and then they sent me the script. Uh, and I read the script and I said, okay, I can see this. But then I just, I thought, okay, let me, let me communicate in words what I see for them. And so I would write out, here's what I'm seeing. Here's your 12 to 16 storyboards. And I sent that back to them. And they sent back to me just like, yeah, this one's good. This one's good. This one, how about you do this instead? You know, like maybe going really close instead of far away, that sort of thing. And then once I narrowed that in, I, I did the sketches. So may I ask, did you do storyboarding first or activations first? And if you did, mm-hmm. after you let me know that, can you um, tell me how you got into the activations as well? Yeah, I did storyboarding first uh, and then got into activations um, kind of through a winding road. Uh, but I did storyboarding first. And I think that that is that was helpful for me. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to do it that way. Uh, but me having drawn storyboards and, uh, you know, uh, 2D renderings for activations mm-hmm. was really how I got my foot in the door for doing activations. Um so the, the way I got into doing activations, uh, which is, for, you know, another term for that is experiential, experiential projects, experiential marketing, experiential builds. So um, for like um, an apartment building or an event that someone wants to have? Exactly. Yeah. So like an, a good example is I just um, uh, my the team uh, that I worked with most recently, we just finished the um, the Melrose Place uh, Lacoste and Bruno Mars partnership. In, mm-hmm. uh, in Los Angeles, right? And in a couple other spots around the country um, where that, uh, and this will kind of tie in, I think, to, to your question of why the storyboarding is important. Um, the, 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 the idea behind activations is basically taking this concept, whatever the concept might be, that people haven't seen before, uh, and then making it a real thing. And, mm-hmm. and there's a step in between those two things. There's many steps in between those two things. But one of the most important steps when you're dealing with big brands or um, artists or artists, Other yeah, artists. <laughs> is putting it on paper, right? Yeah. Um, before someone's going to spend, you know, $1,000 or $100,000 or whatever it might be on an actual physical build, they want to see it. Right. And, and drawing it, um, or putting it into a, a you know program like Blender or Cinema 4D and getting a 3D render, whatever process you do, um, is extremely important to letting the brand or client or company know this is what it's going to look like. To talk about the art part of that, how mm-hmm. important is it to understand how the artist expresses themselves in order to translate what they want and how important is communication between two artists, you and the person hosting an event to get it down on paper. 
Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so I do want to clarify one thing, and that is that uh, for the art, for the, the project I just mentioned, um, I did not do the art. I was actually leading the physical build, uh, which is nice. an art form in itself. But we had an internal art department uh, that, that handled the renders. Okay. Um, and so now I'm still a part of it. And to, to, to your question, which is a great question, um, it is crucial. It is absolutely crucial that the artists communicate and uh, not just the artists, but there's a lot of, for, for something that's going to be physically built, there's a lot of things that go into it that don't seem like art, but are art. Uh, like getting permits and mm -hmm. knowing where you're going to run electricity from if you have neon lights or, you know, virtual reality or anything that's going to be interactive. Uh, there's a whole side to it that is so crucial uh, that the art is so crucial too. Like if you, for example, if you want to put neon signs up or like, let's say I wanted to do a screen that had my mazes on it. Uh, that seems simple, but when you're activating in a physical space, there are questions you have to ask that are uh, better, that are easier to ask if you have a piece of art that shows you where everything is. Like a question, for example, of where's the cord going to run from that screen to plug into the wall? Yeah, you know what? I think that people forget how important like lighting and yeah. drops and stairs and staging is for many of the productions that they watch every day. And yeah. that goes into fashion shows, television mm -hmm. shows, concerts and things like that. So for those artists that don't under comprehend what he's saying right now, you can't have a Beyonce on the run tour without people like Matthew. Because yeah. the work that they do outside of the performance is just as important for safety and for creating the illusion and experience that people enjoy at concerts and television shows and things like that. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's completely true. And, and kind of to that point, um, one thing that I point artists to a lot, again, because I'm studying animation now, uh, is if you look at like a Pixar film uh, and you just watch the whole movie, right? And they're always great. They're, you know, they're emotional. They're beautiful works of art. Uh, not just Pixar, but, you know, a lot of animation, 2D and 3D. Yeah. But then, but then look at the credits. Uh, and yeah, they are, they're extremely long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those yeah. are all artists. <laughs> yep. And there are people whose entire job is just to de decide where the camera, quote unquote. So again, if it's a 3D animation, it's made on a computer, but you still need a cameraman. Yeah. And you still need lighting. And, and the difference between having that person and not having that person is the difference between, uh, and not, even, not necessarily person, but having that skill um, being used in, the, in it or not, because it might be a small team where one person wears many hats. Mm -hmm. But those bigger teams, the reason they have a lighting team on an animated film is because it's a special form of art. It's a special form of creation that, um, that you can spend a lifetime studying and and never master just like any type of art so yeah you're absolutely 100%, right? yeah, 100%. I, I agree with that comment <laughs> 100%. oh that was beautiful uh, you, you're dropping a lot of gems and I, that's why i haven't interrupted you because you were just like dropping gem after gem after gem so thank, thank you for you. that no, may i ask you. you about um the preparation for doing live art because um how much mm -hmm. are you standing up how much are you sitting down and can you also speak about standing and sitting for those long amounts of time can be strenuous on the body yeah yeah so um for that point i don't do live art much mm -hmm. um, so you'll see uh, and these i i can I'll, you know follow up after this uh this conversation with some links 
like I've done, I did a, a live um, art display for a show um, in 2013 uh, uh, on, it was Geico Best of College Basketball. It was done for the final four that year um, where the, I, I basically did a giant oversized calendar with whiteboard drawings and things. And it was, it was a two day process. Um, and so I had to, for that, for that uh, process, we had to um, do the entire thing once with two cameras set up then erase the entire thing. And, and this is like, I'm on a ladder for this, right? I'm going up and on a ladder and moving the ladder and adjusting, going side, you know, all over this, like I think it was 20 to 30 feet long. I forget exactly how long. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had to erase the whole thing and then do it again um, <laughs> with different, um, with different artwork. Or the first time was just writing out the calendar mm -hmm. uh, of the season. The second time was adding artwork. And then there was actually a third setup, which was drawing white with the white erase markers on a clear plexiglass so that they could set up a camera on the other side of that to, to get the view as if they were looking through the whiteboard, right? So it was two days of work. Um, and I think that's that word right there, work, is the key. So may I ask, did you have to do maintenance with all the updates as well, just in case you like bumped into it or something? Um, for that specific one, I didn't just because there was, you know, there was so much footage they gathered in uh -huh. what you know that they were able to edit what they needed but okay. if i let's say that we try to do this in six hours and they knew exactly we want this we want this one we want this one we want this mm -hmm. you know they want those specific shots then you might be doing that same shot five ten fifteen times yeah yeah so that was a pretty long day and it sounds like you got a full workout yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. i was moving the ladder like the the whole uh gimmick to that that presentation was that there was just me in an empty studio uh, obviously there wasn't there was you know 10 or 15 people there mm -hmm. but um you know so for all the moving of the ladder the going up the ladder coming down the ladder you know if my ink ran out on a dry erase marker going and getting another one that was all done by me and so while it's a very simple premise right it's just drawing on a right on a giant whiteboard mm -hmm. uh, yeah it was it was a lot of work yeah. and um, if i'm not mistaken you these images are available on your website to see it so if you're talking, yes. if you guys are listening to the episode of the podcast, you take your cell phone and put in his website information, which he'll give to you at the end of the episode. Yep. Um, yep. And my second to last question for you is what's next now that the world is, you know, getting moving on and getting moving again. Are you excited about anything? Do you have any plans? And if you could please share it with us, what you can, of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I'm at a fun point in my life right now where I, there's nothing that I'm doing that is on a non-disclosure agreement, agreement. I can actually talk about all of it. Oh, good. Uh, so I, I actually, um, as a result of the pandemic, uh, you know, realized that, I, you know, it was a great time of self-reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had, a, I was working with a company called Limitless Creative. Um, and I, it was, it's, you know, it's a very good company. Uh, they're, they're minority owned. They do a lot of activations that do really beneficial things for communities that typically don't get um, exposure and or um, uh, what's the word um, catered to. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great company to work for, but I realized that I was kind of burning out. Um, and, and the reason is my, my biggest dream, and this is the answer to your question. Since I was 12 years old, I have always wanted to animate stories. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I took a, I'm in the middle of a giant leap of faith uh, in which I have started to learn animation, uh, both 2D and 3D. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I've been studying animation my whole life, meaning watching it and reading about it and doing little doodles on pages. 
but I've, uh, I've taken a leap into actually doing um, full on animation and, and actually did turn a maze um, into it, uh, back to your first original setup here. Uh, I did take one of my mazes and, and turned it into an animated NFT, uh, which has not sold, but I, I didn't do it for the money. I did it to see if I could do it. Right. Wow. Uh, and so there is a, there is a maze uh, from the most recent book that is now animated. Um, it's a 2d animation. But my hope is to kind of really dive into 2D and 3D animation right? Um, and, and learn that and be able to tell stories in that. Um, one other thing, too, that is actually a couple other things that are in the works right now. Um, as I mentioned, Maze 2021, I'm, I'm putting the, um, the final editorial touches on that over the next month and a half. And then that book will be released, again, completely for free. Um, and it will, it will um, uh, what's the word? It will have 20 somewhere between 20 and 25 artists that are represented in there, um, all with their own unique styles, all doing maze art. Uh, and then uh, other than that, I kind of have, um, as a result of leaving my previous position and going back to this freelance world and taking that leap of faith, mm -hmm. I've kind of opened up myself to what the world and the universe might put in my path. Uh, so there's been a lot of really good conversations with other artists and um, actually video game developers um, and other sort of, um, you know, creative people that, that create in ways that I don't to potentially collaborate and come up with some things that might be, you know, fun and exciting. You know, I really love what you're doing. And because we're going into this NFT world and virtual world, like we dreamed of when we were children, I really believe there's a lot of opportunity out there for you, Matthew, especially making them into 2d, 3d and having the, technology now for people to literally walk through mazes virtually it's going to be amazing and I really do see that for you and for your art um do you mind if I say one thing that's kind of that just came to mind from that yes uh because I, I realize that anyone who might be listening to this you know they I've told this story of all this stuff I've done right mm -hmm. um, working with tv working with with you know big artists and and big brands and all that and um, I, I think one thing I, that, that, I, that the pandemic taught me, right, uh, about being a human is that um, clout and, and connections can help, but they're not as valuable at the end of the day as, as just creating, if you're an artist, right? Yeah. Uh, and so this is kind of where I had a, over the pandemic, like I said, I worked for a really good company. But I chose to leave, even though the pay was good and the projects were good. Right. And the reason I chose to leave and the decision I had to make was, would I be willing to, for example, go, go back to like stocking shelves at a grocery store to make ends meet? As long to do as what you meant, love. Exactly. As long as it meant I could spend more time doing what I love. Yeah. And when I realized that the answer to that question was yes. Like, yeah, I'm completely grateful for all the things that, have, that I've been able to, uh, to do as an artist and for all the people in my life who have, who have collaborated or connected me. Like, I, those, I don't downplay that at all. But um, what you'll find and, and what I, you know, I've, I have friends who are way more successful than me and better known than me in different fields. And what they found and what I found and what hopefully everyone who's listening who's an artist finds, uh, what they find is hopefully this, that as long as you're creating, if you can maintain some semblance of security, meaning like you have a roof over your head, you have clothing, you have good friends, you, you can connect with your family and you have meaningful moments. Yeah. Um, that, that, that will, that will be enough. Yeah. 
you know, that's going to be enough for you. If you're, if you're a creative soul, um, you could have all the money in the world, all the access in the world and find yourself um, just not complete because you're not creating what you should be creating. For a while, for a good reason, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we definitely talk to the artists on here to ask them what their why is. Yeah, oh, that's great. I love that. That's and great. if you are open to it, I mean, clearly, what you just said is all about family in those moments. Mm-hmm. But if you had to really break it down, what is your why? Whatever I have to say and share might not be the most important thing for everyone that I meet, but it is the most important thing for me. Yeah. And there is value in all of us taking the experience that we live and turning it into something that can become a legacy that others, even if it's one or two others um, or one or two million others, it doesn't matter if it allows someone else to breathe easy and have a moment of feeling like they're understood Mm-hmm. Um, or that they are welcome here and that this world is theirs. That's, that's, that's why, like, that's what art and creating is. And, and you can inject a lot of things into that process. You can inject money and fame and, and all of all kinds of things that distract from that. And that's okay. There are people who create wonderful art and also make millions of dollars, but there are also people who create wonderful art and make nothing. Yeah. Um, and, and there the value of what they do and the value of what I hope, why I do what I do is not tied to money. It's tied to the story and the legacy. Um, and that's, that to me is, is why I, I create. And on that note, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on Atelier 1121. Can you please share with the audience all of your information, Instagram website, so that they can check out your work contact you for commissions if it's open and just get to experience what you want to share with the world. Yeah, of course. And thank you so much for, for reaching out to me and, and for making this podcast as well. I, I appreciate what you're doing for, for artists. Um, yeah. My, my website is uh, matthewsmazes.com. It's M A T T H E W S M A Z E S.com. Um, and then you can also just do backslash portfolio. If you want to check out some of my work, it's not linked directly because I'm using that platform now to showcase other maze artists instead of just myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on that site, you'll be, you'll be able to download both the maze 2020 book, which is currently available and maze 2021 when that becomes available here in the next few months. Uh, my email, uh, I don't mind giving out, is matthewsmazes at gmail.com. And uh, for the Instagram, I do have a private Instagram. That's, I believe, matthews.mazes. But uh, just go to art underscore mazes. So that's A-R-T underscore M-A-Z-E-S. That's where I'm going to be featuring other maze artists and not just myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because you might find, if you like mazes, that there is uh, there's another artist who does something that speaks to you more than what I do. And, so I uh, check that out and, and give it a follow. Matthew, thank you for being on. Thank you for spreading the word about other artists. We appreciate it because that is our mission as well. Have a wonderful evening and thank you for being on Atelier 1121. Thank you. And, and I'm going to wrap there. That was good. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> glad I'm glad I did. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, those who heard it live, they of course heard it. But then let me look at my calendar. And confirm that I have you coming out on 
July 5th. July 5th. July 5th. Okay, great. I will actually be on a uh, family trip when that comes out, so I'll give it a listen. Okay, thank you. And um, please reach out for anything. I'm always watching. I am rooting for you. And thanks so much. Thank you. I will send you links and uh, things that are related to this in a, in a few hours. And all of the links will be on the um, page of under you know, like the description. It should be right there on Apple um, Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and like 12 others. So it'll be like pushed out there. So I hope that uh, people really, really connect to this episode because I am a huge fan of your work and I really see what you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. I, I love it. Thank you so much for having me on here. Alrighty. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Atelier 1121. If you are an artist or interested in being in the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at info.ontaviaroulette.com. And we would love to look over your portfolio and get to know you better in order to have you on the podcast. I am so grateful for everyone continuing to listen and support Italia 1121 and grateful to be in season six. Please tune in next week for another episode. And our guest is Basun, a rapper, lyricist, poet, and installation artist from Amsterdam. Have a wonderful evening. Good night.